Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. As we're reminded, that's my King. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ Supreme. I want to thank Josh and the worship team. There's a lot of things that go on in preparation, and they do an awful lot of work, so make sure that you show your appreciation as we've been singing of, of God's power this morning and reminded that He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize that you are God. Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, we can worship you. Lord, as we look at your word, may nothing distract us, and may we recognize the preeminence of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we've all been the target of scams. Maybe a wealthy foreigner who wants to give you or your organization several million dollars, and all you need to do is provide some information and the money to pay for the wire transfer. You may have received a call about a relative who is in jail in Canada and needs money for bail or one that's been uh, recently going around churches. Uh, churches are, are contacted and they're offered a grand piano worth many, many thousands of dollars and, and all the church needs to provide is some information and help with the cost of transportation from the Midwest. Scams. We have all been the target and I hate to tell you, we're going to continue to face them. The people of Colossae were the targets of false teaching considering Jesus. The way you could call it a scam. False teachers claim that Jesus was not fully God, or some would say he was not fully man. The Gnostics taught that, that he was a, they use this term, a partial emanation of God. But he wasn't fully the real thing. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, Paul shares a powerful argument focusing on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist." And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. In these verses, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, we see four ways that Paul describes the supremacy of Christ that he is preeminent. And this morning, I'd like to take a few minutes and look at these four ways that we see that Jesus Christ is supreme. 
We see in verse 15 and again in verse 19 that he is supreme in position. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then to verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. As we see Paul's description, it's important to notice the meaning of some of these words to help us better understand what all Paul is saying. He uses there in verse 15 the term image. That term in the Greek means an exact representation. He is equal with the Father. The first part of Hebrews 1.3 says, Who, Jesus, being the brightness of His, God's glory, and the express image of His person. Again, image, the exact representation. In John 14, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. And then... We see not only is he the image or exact representation of God, but he is the firstborn over all creation. Now that term firstborn may cause us a struggle. Firstborn does not mean that he was the first one created. The term that is translated firstborn means first in rank or supreme. The Jehovah's Witnesses improperly used this verse to say that Jesus was lower than God the Father. He was created by God, and so therefore he was not equal with God. But that's not at all what this verse is saying. This verse is talking about how Jesus Christ is supreme. He's first in rank. This term firstborn also, also points to the right of inheritance in a family. Jesus Christ is supreme. And then we see going to verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That term fullness is the sum total of all the divine power and attributes. He, Jesus, has the complete being and nature of the Father. Jesus is not part God. He is fully God. He is equal with the Father. In Psalm 45, the psalmist writes this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, obviously, if you ask anyone, who's that speaking of? Well, it's speaking of God. It's fascinating that in Hebrews 1.8, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 45.6, but he adds a qualifier. Hebrews 1.8 says, but to the Son, he says, but to Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus Christ is supreme in position. John chapter 1 and verse 1, using the term word, which was one of the titles of Jesus Christ, it says, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus himself said, I and my Father are one. Jesus Christ is supreme in position. 
To question the deity of Jesus Christ is to question the authority and the truthfulness of the Bible. And also to question the words, the statements of Christ himself. The author C.S. Lewis, you may be familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, part of what he wrote. But C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus Christ. He is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. If you say Jesus Christ was just a good man and a great teacher, you can't say that if you doubt that he is God. Because a good teacher will teach truth, and Jesus Christ claimed to be God himself, and if he isn't God, then he is a liar. Or the third option is a lunatic. He's just out of his mind. But we see that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is supreme in position. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in him all the fullness shall dwell. But not only is he supreme in position, we see that he's supreme in creation. Verses 16 and 17 say this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. We see that he is the creator of all. John 1 Verse 3, speaking of Christ, says this, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator of all. In verse 16, Paul reminds us that he created all things, visible and invisible. It's interesting how Paul went ahead and, and described it to you even more fully when he went to visible and invisible with thrones and dominions, principalities and powers. Why did Paul emphasize that? Well, one of the false teachings that these people in Colossae were facing was the worship of angels. Not only were they teaching that Jesus Christ is less than God the Father, less than God himself, but also that, that worship shouldn't go to Christ. Worship should go to many spiritual beings, including the angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, God reminds us that Jesus is superior to the angels. And we see in verse 6 that they worship him. He is over the angels as their creator. Here in Colossians 1, verse 16 ends, all things were created through him and for him. And you know, one of my favorite little sayings is this, all means all, that's all, all means. Jesus Christ was the creator of all. And it says that they were created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is both the agent and the goal of creation. He is supreme in position. He is supreme in creation. But not only did he create it all, but he sustains it all. He is a sustainer of all. Verse 17 says that in him all things consist. He holds everything together. 
as Josh shared earlier this morning, talking about the amazing aspect of our bodies, how Jesus Christ holds it all together. He sustains it all. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the last part of the verse, speaking again of Jesus Christ, says that He is upholding all things by the word of His power. Every breath we take is because of Him. Every moment we live is a gift from Him. He is the creator and the sustainer. He is supreme in creation. But verse 17 also tells us not only is He creator and sustainer, but He is eternal. Verse 17 says, He is before all things. John chapter 1 and verse 2, we looked at verse 1 earlier. Verse 2 continues, says that He was in the beginning with God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is called the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In John chapter 8, Jesus was having a discussion and many of the religious leaders were questioning Jesus and he was speaking about Abraham. And in verse 58 of John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Now that got their heart racing because they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming that he was eternal. He was claiming that he was God. If you go back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, you see the story of Moses being called by God to lead the people of Israel out from under the bondage of Egypt. And if you go there to chapters 3 and 4 of, of Exodus, you see that, that God and Moses are having a little discussion. There's a burning bush. Moses stops. This catches his attention. What's going on here? And so he stops, and God speaks out of the bush to Moses. And God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. Now, Moses comes up with a set of excuses why God wasn't going to use him, why he wasn't qualified to be used by God for such a task. But in their discussion, Moses asked God, he said, so why will they believe me? Who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And so these religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. We can go back to verses 15 and 19 that he is supreme in position. Jesus Christ was saying, I am God. I am equal with God the Father. And in that, the fact that he is eternal. He is before all things. He's not constrained by time. He has no beginning or end. As we said in Revelation, he is called the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no beginning to him. There's no end to him. He is eternal. So we see that Jesus Christ is supreme in position. He is an image of God. He is the exact representation of God. He is fully God. 
He is supreme in creation as the creator and sustainer, the eternal God who created and sustains it all. He is supreme in creation. But not only that, we see in the first part of verse 18 that he is supreme in the church. Verse 18 begins, and he is the head of the body, the church. The body is used as a picture of the church in the New Testament. Passages like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, share how the parts of the body, how the different people in the church function together to follow God and to proclaim God's kingdom and the gospel. And we see that that God has gifted each individual, followers of His, with spiritual gifts in order to further the gospel of Christ and to strengthen the church. And so we see how all of these parts of the body fit together, but here in Colossians chapter 1, we see Jesus' part in this body. His position and His responsibility is that He is the head. That term head means source or ruler. Using the picture of the body, the head is the source. It's the source of all the functions of the body. The head directs all the parts. So, and I understand many times people use this not thinking through the full ramifications But just to let you know, it's sort of hard to answer. When people hear that I'm a pastor, they say, oh, tell us about your church. Now, I I don't know what else they would say, but I want to say it's not my church. If it's my church, we're in big trouble. It's God's church. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's His church. And our goal as His followers, both as what they call the universal church, all Christians throughout the world, but also the local church, our responsibility is to follow the leadership of the head, Jesus Christ. And when we don't follow that leadership of Christ... The church will fail miserably. He is the head. He is the source, the ruler of the church. He is supreme in the church. And then we go on in verse 18, the last part, and we see that he is supreme in everything. The last part of verse 18 says, Who, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, twice in this passage, Paul uses that term firstborn. And in both, at both times, it can be a little confusion, confusing. Excuse me, in verse, in verse 15, he says that he is the firstborn of all creation. It does not mean that he was the first thing created. Because we see he was the creator of all. He was eternal before Abraham was. Jesus said, I am. He was the creator, the eternal God. And so firstborn, we need to recognize the emphasis is on the supremacy of Christ. 
But the same thing here, the firstborn from the dead. Because people will say, well, look it, I've read my Bible. It says, you know, it talks about Jesus raising from the dead at the end of the Gospels. There are other stories of people being raised from the dead through the power of God at other times. What does it mean he was the firstborn from the dead? He wasn't the first person raised from the dead. What is Paul trying to say here? (coughs) Excuse me. It's saying that in all things... He has the preeminence, but he was the firstborn from the dead. Without his resurrection, there could be no other resurrection. There's a couple different and very important differences between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and other people like, for instance, the one that Elijah raised from the dead in the Old Testament, the young man that that Elijah raised from the dead, or Lazarus that we see in John chapter 11. Now, remember, Jesus went and and, uh, Lazarus, they recalled Jesus because Lazarus was very sick. Jesus delayed in coming, and so Lazarus had already died, and he got there, and Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, said, oh, Jesus, if you would have just come sooner, then you would have been able to heal him. You remember what Jesus did? He said, show me where he lies. And so they went to the grave where Lazarus was, and Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. That was before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is the difference? Why is Jesus called the firstborn from the dead? He's the firstborn from the dead because his resurrection is required for all other resurrections. And secondly, because his resurrection was not followed by another death. Lazarus was going to one day die again. The the boy that, that Elijah raised in the Old Testament was going to die again. But Jesus Christ gives us victory over death because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead. Without his resurrection, there could be no other resurrection. And then the last words of verse 18, in all things, he is to have preeminence. All means all. That's all all means. He is to have preeminence in everything. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, we find a warning given to the church at Ephesus. Now, in Revelation 2 and 3, the Apostle John was the writer of Revelation, and he shared seven letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. The one we're probably most familiar with is the church at Laodicea. It's found at the end of chapter 3, and and you may uh, remember that, that uh, the angel warned the church at Laodicea that they were lukewarm and that they were going to be taken out. God wished that they were either hot or cold, but instead they were lukewarm. Well, that's the last of the seven churches that are mentioned here in in Revelation 2 and 3. The first one is the church at Ephesus. And if you read the first three verses of of Revelation chapter 2, you see that there were a lot of things that that church was doing well. And so it's going along, verses 1, 2, and 3, they're a pretty good church. But then in verse 4, 
we see a warning. It says that they had left their first love. What does that mean? It means that while they were still doing a lot of things for God, they no longer had him in a position of preeminence. He was no longer their sole focus. Now, he still had a place in their lives and in their church. They were doing lots of good things for God, but he wasn't preeminent. Maybe he was even in many of their lives in a prominent place, but not the preeminent place. As God, he must have preeminence. You see, all we do should be about him, for him, and because of him. He can't just have a place in our lives. We can't have the God box, and then all of our other boxes, and we'll get back to the God box, and we'll be doing other things, focusing on the other boxes, then we'll come back to the God box. No, he must be preeminent in everything. Our life must be about him in all we do. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is he supreme in your life? Now, as we go through the book of Colossians, our goal in, in each section that we go through to be challenged to better understand God's Word, but also to apply it. And if we look at this passage here in verses 15 through 19, it's solely about Jesus Christ. He is supreme in position. He is supreme in creation. He's supreme in the church. He's supreme in everything. So how does that affect me? If Jesus Christ is God, if he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, if he is the eternal head of the church, my life needs to be all about him. And that's the challenge. Is he supreme in your life? Is he supreme in your relationships, in your marriage, your family, your friendships? Is he, is he supreme in your work? Is he supreme in your activities and your hobbies? Is he supreme in your goals and dreams? Is he Lord of all areas of your life? Jesus Christ is called to be preeminent, to be supreme. He is supreme. The question is, in my life, in your life, are we making him supreme? Is he the preeminent one that my life is all about? Is he the one that everything I do focuses on him and is done for his glory? Is he supreme? 
as we close the message this morning. As part of our application, we're going to sing an old hymn. The hymn is called, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. We're just going to sing the first verse. It says, All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. That angels prostrate fall comes from Hebrews chapter 1. It's also touched upon here in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is creator of the visible and invisible, the physical and spiritual. But then we're to bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Is he Lord in your life? Father, we do thank you that as Almighty God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for us. We thank you for the hope of salvation brought through your Son. And we thank you that he is supreme in creation. He is supreme in the church. Lord, I pray that we would make him supreme in our lives. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to remain standing and sing one last song just to kind of take this home today. Um, so the song is a Christmas song, but I don't see any harm in singing a Christmas song uh, any time of the year because it proclaims that Jesus will reign forever and ever. So let's sing this together.
praying. God bless you guys. Have a great week.